Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. If you're using your pew Bible, it's page 910. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent! And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation! So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thank you. Okay. So I um, grew up in a Lutheran home, and as happens in Lutheran homes, I was baptized when I was a little baby. Then later in life, I became a Christian, and I started to follow Jesus, and I never really thought about my baptism as a baby until I went to Baptist seminary. Then all of a sudden, I had to think through the issue. I had to consider what I believe about baptism. And after studying it, after considering what the scripture said, I was convinced that I needed to be baptized. So on April 2015, I think on Easter Sunday, I was baptized at Bethlehem Baptist Church. And then after I was baptized, I started to change on the issue even more. It wasn't an issue I just was convinced I needed to take a position on. It began to become something I loved. Like, I really love baptism. I love what the Bible says about it. I love seeing when people get baptized, even when it's in kind of a strange pool in the back of the church. But I'm really excited because it's a sign that God is saving people, God is working, and it's our chance to celebrate that God's doing the most incredible work he could ever do for one of us, which is save us and bring us to himself. So I want to answer essentially two questions during this sermon, and that are what happens on the inside of someone when they become a Christian, and the other is what are we saying about someone when we baptize them? And if anyone here is not a follower of Jesus yet, I just want to encourage you to stay tuned in because baptism teaches us things about God and about ourselves that are important for all of us to know and helpful for all of us to know. And so I think you can grow from listening to the sermon also. My message is just really simple. I have three points, and each one is one thing that baptism pictures. So I'm going to point to three different things that baptism is a picture of. So let's start with the first one. Baptism is a picture of the new birth. Okay, so where we're at in Acts 2, 
It's a very important chapter in the Bible. The apostles who were Jesus' disciples had just established a church for the very first time in history, and we were seeing the first baptisms. And this was at a time in the story when Jesus had ascended into heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit down to empower his disciples to be witnesses. And so they're in Jerusalem. They're in this metropolitan, multicultural place, not a whole lot unlike Minneapolis. And they're talking to the crowds. And the amazing thing is, everyone can understand what they're saying in their own language. Because God's changing his kingdom from being a Jewish kingdom to a nation of all peoples. And of course, if something like that was happening, it's going to draw a crowd. And so all sorts of thousands of people come together and Peter preaches a sermon to them. And it's a sermon that it says it cuts their hearts. At the climax of his sermon, this is what he says if you look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's a hard sermon. Peter said to the people who gathered there, you know Jesus who came and lived as the Savior and is the one who came to save you from your sins? Well, you rebelled against that person and you killed him and you nailed him to the cross because you didn't want someone who said you're a sinner. You wanted someone to come and affirm you, but he came to do more than that. He came to love you. He came to die for you and to save you. And they're saying, we don't want any part of that, and they killed him. Now, if you think, if you remember the Bible, this crowd was probably part of the crowd who was saying about a couple weeks earlier, you should crucify Jesus. So if you're reading this story, man, you're going to think, like, what is this crowd going to do at this point? Are they going to kill Peter? Because what he said is very offensive. Are they going to shout him down? Are they going to have him arrested? Like, he just said that guy who you killed was your king, and they just killed him last week. So this is a pretty bold statement. So what happens? Do they kill Peter? Let's take a look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is a miracle that happened. Instead of being angry, instead of rejecting that message, they said, how do I receive this message? Something has happened in their hearts to change their hearts from not loving God from not caring about God to loving God and caring about God. The Bible calls this miracle the new birth or regeneration. And it's the amazing thing that happens, that needs to happen to anyone if they're going to be saved, is when the God of the universe reaches down into your heart and changes it so it loves him. It's actually one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard of in my life. And it usually happens when someone's preaching a sermon, like I'm preaching right now. So if you feel your heart burning while I'm preaching, I think God's doing something to you today. It can happen around a dinner table when people are talking about Jesus. Some people, it happens to them when they're just reading their Bible in the room alone, and all of a sudden they say, oh my gosh, this is all real, I believe this. But the point is that this is a work of God. And 
The Bible uses the symbolic language of a stony heart to a flesh heart. So before this happened, our hearts were stone. They were inflexible. They were resistant to God. They did not like God. And when he tried to tell us to do something, they said, no. The Bible says when you go through the new birth, your heart becomes flesh. And also when God says, come to me, you say, yes. That's the miracle of the new birth. And everyone who's in here who's following Jesus, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a point in your life where God and Jesus didn't mean anything to you. Like you just did whatever you want. You didn't care about God. Some of you probably were angry at him and hated him. And then all of a sudden one day you heard a sermon or someone had a conversation with you. And all of a sudden Jesus was the most beautiful person you'd ever heard of and you believed in him. And I just want to remind everyone that none of us did that to ourselves. That God did that to us. And if you're here today and you feel like you need that miracle to happen to you, then just ask God to change your heart. And don't stop asking him until he does. Because no amount of mustering up effort is going to bring you to him. You need him to call you. That's what happens when you're a sinner. So if we look at verse 37, it points out two very clear signs of the new birth. Two very clear things that happens when God reaches in and touches someone's heart. Let's read the verse. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The first is cut to the heart. That means they had a contrition and a remorse over sin. Usually when we're upset about sin, we're upset that we got caught and we got, got, got in trouble. This remorse about sin is when you're sad that you did something against your father who loves you and you want to be right with him. That's the second sign of the new birth is that you have a desire to come to God and to be with God. That shows that you want to be reconciled with him, that you want to be with him, and that shows that he's at work in your heart. So let's give him credit for what he's done. I love this quote by a pastor named J.C. Ryle. He spoke this about 200 years ago, and he's talking about the day that he was born again. And I think a lot of you who are born again might resonate with this. He said, Nothing I can remember to this day appeared to me so clear and distinct as my own sinfulness, Christ's preciousness, the value of the Bible, and the absolute necessity of coming out of the world. Before that time, I was dead in sins and on the high road to hell. From that time, I had become alive, and I've had a hope of heaven, and nothing to my mind can account for it but the free, sovereign grace of God. When you're born again, what's different about you is your desires are completely upended. You ever played a board game where someone gets mad and just flips the table? That's kind of like what happens in your hearts with your desires, but in a good way. You see, before, yourself was up here. God was down here. That's why you just did whatever you want to. That's why you sinned against him. And if this doesn't change, you're never going to repent of your sin and come to him. If he never ends up at the top of your desires, you'll never become a Christian. That's what happened when Peter preached. The, the desires switched around. And I hope for some of you today that God flips your desires around and you feel a need for him. 
and you can come to him. And, and, and when it's flipped around, you feel bad for your sin because before you didn't feel bad for your sin because why would you? Your sin was the most important thing. But when God becomes the most important thing to you, now you feel bad when you hurt him, when you do wrong. And that's a gift from him. We don't think of sorrow for our sin as a gift. We think of being happy as a gift. But it's a gift when we start to understand that we've sinned against our Father because that's the first step in being made right with him. So, when Peter talks about baptism, we need to understand that it's about becoming a completely new person. More than that, when you're saved, it's about becoming a completely new person. Because when your desires flip around, the person who you were is considered to be dead. And the new person you are with a new allegiance and new desires for God has come alive. It's like a death and resurrection for this to happen to you. And here's my main point. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. Baptism is the outward symbol that portrays the miraculous inward work of God. No one, no one can see with their own eyes what I was just describing. So we need a picture to show it to us. Which is precisely what we're going to get to see later today. And so if your old self has died and your new self has become alive and baptism is the symbol of that, the dying and rising, then baptism is both your birthday and your funeral. It's marking that the old person you were is gone and the new person is come and progressively coming. You know, when we're, we're going to baptize people in a few minutes and when we do it, we could do it where the person could go just straight down into the water or like a face-first thing, but we're not doing that. You get, you get lowered backwards. Does anyone know why you get lowered backwards? What, Mary? Yeah, because if you go in a grave, you, you go in backwards, don't you? And if you're coming out of that grave, you get pulled right on out of there. So there's real pictures and symbolism here that just looking around at you who are getting baptized today, that you're recognizing that the old you is dead. And the rest of your life, you're a new person. And I want, um, I want to draw attention to that for everyone else here, that if we're following Christ, that we need to see these baptisms too. Because a lot of us, including myself, have a lot of messiness in my heart. And guess what? I still act like that old person that died. And so when I get to see someone baptized, that's a call to me to live as a new man that Jesus has made me. It's a call to us to pursue holiness. And so if you get caught up like I do in acting like the old man, the old woman, whatever, you get to be called today by God to live as a new person he's made you to be. The other thing, the other reason I think it's so important that we witness these baptisms is it because it reminds us that no one has a boring testimony. Has anyone ever heard that before? 
oh, I, I grew up in a Christian household and I just came to know Jesus when I was four years old and so my testimony is boring. Friends, it's never boring when the God of the universe reaches into a dead heart and makes it alive. The picture that comes into my mind is, I think of a, a little baby conceived in the mother's womb. Man, that little baby's so beautiful and precious. And the crazy thing is you can't see it. It happened inside of her, so you, don't even, you can't even see this beautiful, precious thing. You just know it's there. Unless... You go to the doctor and you get an ultrasound. Then what happens? You, you can see the baby in there. And baptism is actually kind of like an ultrasound where we get to see what happened in the hearts of the people who come get baptized. Which is why I really want to ask you to celebrate when people get baptized today. Like, I want to hear some clapping and cheering because we're, we're, getting, we're witnessing something profound and beautiful. A picture of what God has done that shows that no one's testimony is boring at all. All right, that's symbol one. Baptism pictures the new birth. I want to move on to point two. Baptism pictures cleansing from sin. So after you, God makes your heart new, you might say, well, what do I do? What's the first thing I do when I feel a conviction of sin and a need for Christ? I love how simple the Bible is sometimes. It's so easy. Let's take a look at verse 38. And Peter said to them, so they say, what what shall I do? Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. That's it. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I want to start out with the idea of repentance, and then I'll talk about baptism. So repentance means a change of mind or heart, which I don't want you to misunderstand that term, because I think a lot of us go to a restaurant and we order a hot dog and then say, I changed my mind, I want a hamburger. And that's not repentance. <laughs> that's just changing your mind. This, what repentance is talking about in the Bible is a total change of allegiance from one master to another. There's a no going back. There's a complete surrender and a complete taking hold of someone else. So much so that in a lot of senses, the person who you were before you were baptized would not even be recognizable to the person you become. That's the level of change in repentance we're talking about when we talk about repentance. The, the, something that comes to mind is... Um, during World War II, there were brilliant scientists who worked for the Nazis, and they were building weapons to destroy our country. But then Germany, they actually lost the war, and instead of the scientists going to jail, they agreed to come and work in the United States as scientists to build weapons for us. It was called Operation Paperclip. That's a picture of what repentance is like. I was working, I was part of this country that was an enemy with this country and now what was formerly my enemy is now the country I serve but should replace that with God he was I guess enemy person I wasn't refusing to bow to and now he's the one I serve and the one I love at this point when I was writing my sermon something jumped out to me is the question where is faith in these verses 
Like, I think a lot of us have heard before, you know, John 3.16, if you believe that God, um, how does John 3.16 go? God so loved the world (laughs) that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. And my answer to where I believe faith is in these verses, and the idea is that repentance and faith always go together. You can't separate them. And the reason you can't separate them is because repentance is a turning away from what did own you, what you did serve, and it's a turning to a new master to love and believe in him. Repentance is turning away from the old. Faith is turning to Jesus. It's all part of one process of turning from what was and receiving what is. And the Bible actually links these two ideas together in several places. So when Jesus came and preached, he preached that you should repent and believe in the good news. And later, if we take a look at Acts 20, 20, and 21, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And at this point, I want to draw a really clear distinction, especially for anyone getting baptized. Your baptism does not forgive your sins. Your baptism is the picture of the forgiveness of your sins. Only faith in Jesus brings forgiveness of sins. And once your sins are forgiven, you get to go and show everyone how he forgave them. So please don't get those things mixed up. And Peter actually says in Acts 10.43, so later in the the same book, he says, um, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's forgiveness of sins. So then why does Peter say be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? That's the question I had. And if you remember my main point, it's baptism is the outward picture of the inward miraculous work of Christ. Peter is just saying the symbol should go with the reality. If you really repented and believed, then your baptism is the symbol I want you to go through to show that. He doesn't want us to pull those things apart. He wants them to be put together. And so I think baptism reminds us, the symbol that baptism is a reminder of the forgiveness of our sins is a really important reminder for us in this room for two reasons. The first one is that it reminds us that to be a Christian, to be saved, it takes nothing more than simple childlike faith in Jesus. Nothing else. We make it so complicated so easily, don't we? We think, man, I gotta jump through these hoops, or I gotta dress a certain way, or I gotta say certain things, or I gotta stop committing this sin before I come to Him. And baptism says, enough with that. If you just have a simple childlike trust in Christ, you're His child. If you just believe in Him and come to Him, you'll be saved. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. And it's just that simple. The other reason I think the symbol of baptism is really important for us who are here today is that it's a reminder that when Christ forgives us, it's complete. It's total. It's finished, he says on the cross. I'm sure there's some of you here right now who are feeling shame and guilt and wondering if you're a child of God. Baptism is saying to you, Jesus completely washed you. If you're trusting in me, you're forgiven. We're about to see some people get lowered all the way into the water. And Christ's righteousness covers you as much as those people are going to be covered with water. We have a law in this country that says that if you've been declared not guilty of a crime, the government cannot charge you with that same crime again. It's called double jeopardy. And as soon as you believe in Jesus, he declares you not guilty. And when your conscience and when Satan comes and accuses you and tries to make you feel like you don't belong to his family, you don't belong to him, the answer is Jesus already declared us not guilty and so there's no reason for us to fear or believe those lies. And so if that's you today and that's where you're at, please pay attention to what the Lord's about to do. That's the second picture baptism is. The first picture is a picture of the new birth. The second picture is a cleansing from sin. And the third picture is a picture of joining the family. So myself and the other leaders um, were talking about when should we baptize someone when they become a Christian? Should we do it quickly Should we slow down and wait to make sure that the person is really a Christian and we're not accidentally baptizing the wrong person? And we had kind of a a wait-and-see approach. But as we read the scriptures, and if you look at the book of Acts, it doesn't sound like there's that waiting period at all. It sounds like when someone confesses faith, the proper response is to say, it's time to baptize you and bring you into the family. And if you read really closely, it actually sounds like it happened on the same day you confessed Jesus. I'm not sure how exactly we're going to make that work. But the point is that there isn't this period of waiting. And we can see this in Acts 8, 36-38. It says, As they, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Just like that. And so, I think the implication of this is that when someone confesses faith, You baptize soon, and you bring them right into the church family soon. We can see that this is what happened in Acts 2 in our text. Take a look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what's the alternative to a hands-off, wait-and-see approach? 
It's a life-on-life discipleship approach. If anyone's ready to be baptized, if anyone's ready to confess Christ, we're ready to welcome you in this family, and you might be brand new and know nothing except for that you believe in Jesus, and we're ready to walk with you from day one. Say, hey, you're a part of the family. And of course, there's some other facets of that to describe. I can do that later, but basically the answer is because the Bible essentially says be baptized and join the family of God. That's what we're going to say. Be baptized and join the family of God. Um, Joe Rigney, who's a pastor at our sending church, has um, preached on baptism, and here's a paraphrase of what he said. I think it's helpful for us. Rather than raise the bar high at the entry into the Christian life, we want to raise the bar for our church in discipling new believers. So instead of saying you have to do a lot before you're a part of this family, we're saying get in this family and we're going to do a lot to invest in you and see you grow up so you don't have to do it on your own. And I think baptism is the ideal way to welcome someone to the family. What, what better way than celebrating their new birth and their forgiveness of sin to say now you're part, you're part of us, you're one of us. And I think this symbolism of baptism is especially relevant for us today in a world where isolation and loneliness is increasing to record levels. I remember when I was in high school wanting to be like in the cool crowd and fitting into the in crowd, but I could just never figure out how. Has anyone ever been there where you just want to get into this group of people and you just can't figure out how to do it? Like, oh, maybe if I just wore this or said this, nope, didn't work again. And I love how simple the Bible makes it. There's nothing to figure out. Repent and believe. If you can understand that, you can become a child of God and join our family. Repent and believe. It's that simple. That's all it is. Now I want to address... Um, Anyone who's here is not a follower of Jesus yet and you're thinking, man, this Jesus sounds lovely to me, this Jesus sounds cool, but, you know, I'm, I'm a person who's pretty far off from God. I don't know if I would belong here. I don't think I'd fit in. I don't think God would take me back after everything I've done. I'm, I'm just too far away from him. Well, let's take a look at verse 39 and see what the Bible has to say to you. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. There's no such thing as too far off from Jesus. A perfect sacrifice means it can save anyone who comes to him. And so if you're in that position today, if you know you need a Savior, if you're feeling God work on your heart, I just encourage you to repent and believe today and confess Christ. And maybe get baptized today. There's a robe up there for you. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. And so if you really want to trust and follow Christ and you never have before, I want to invite you to be baptized today. I want to invite you to join our family. But if you're not there yet and you just want to talk some more about it, please let myself or... Any of the pastors know we'd love to talk to you. 
I also want to address any Christians who have been here for a while, who have walked with Christ, but haven't ever received baptism. Please don't wait any longer. Maybe you need to get baptized at your church. Maybe you need to get baptized today. Maybe you need to get baptized here soon. All those are on the table right now. And we would love to see everyone receive this gift from God and bless everyone else by receiving this gift and showing it to us. I think that if we practice this together, an open invitation and a baptism for anyone who comes, I think it will turn us more into the family that we want to be. I think of other organizations I've been a part of in the world, other places, and in these places, if you're the most accomplished person, the most experienced person, the most senior person, you get the honor and attention from other people. That's not the way it works here. If you come to Christ, you get love from us. You become a part of the family, and we care most about you. We walk closest with you. And baptism is, to see you get baptized is a reminder that this is a new person in our family. And as a new person in our family, we need to show special care and attention to this person. Like when you have a new person in your family, like a new child is born, that baby gets all the attention. And we're going to try to be a place that shows all the attention to the new people who come and receive Christ in our family. The Bible says that when one sinner repents, the angels dance in heaven. And I would love to see us be a place where we dance. Yeah, where we dance when people come to Christ because we're that happy. I want to end by reminding us that baptism is all about Jesus. If we miss Jesus, we miss baptism. He was baptized, you know, when he was a man here on earth. He was not a sinner. He was baptized to take the place of sinners like myself and you too. And when he got in the water, John the Baptist had been baptizing, hadn't he? So that water was probably pretty ishy and dirty when he got down into it. And when he hung on the cross later, He also took the dirt on him, spiritual uncleanness of anyone who comes to him. And it's so sad, but it's the most beautiful thing because it allows people to be forgiven. It allows anyone to be reconciled to God and to become a child of God. So I love to talk about that. And when we see these baptisms today and we clap and cheer, remember who we're clapping and cheering for. It's for him. See someone die and rise from the again? It's about him. It's the work he's done and it's the work he wants us to praise him for. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we'll never run out of reasons to praise you. We'll never get over how good you are to us and we just thank you for that. And ask that there be a sense of awe in our hearts as we see these four precious people baptized. 
and we celebrate Jesus Christ. So thank you for him and all he's done for us. I pray these things in his name. Amen.